Hi, I'm Danielle Fetter. I'm Alexandra Lee, and we're the co-hosts of Partial View Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Partial View Podcast. Danielle and Alex here with a new episode. And we've got a wickedly exciting guest for you today. So many references in one. Oh my goodness. We just need um, a fun way to mispronounce <laughs> your name now. Oh gosh. Yes. <laughs> for this episode, we are doing a little bit of a celebration, you might say, of Wicked's 20th anniversary, which happens to fall the same week as Halloween this year. Which is the week this episode is being released. Essentially, yes. With Yes. Give or take a few days. And we're going to be getting into it by looking at the influence of Wicked over the past 20 years and kind of this interesting recent trend of contemporary plays that are featuring teenage girls and female friendship, but not in the like kind of sugar-coated way that I think you see in media a lot of the time, um, more as being like very complex and often involving elements of, you know, the spiritual or witchcraft. And we've got an amazing guest on we tap do. for today. We're we so do. excited. Danielle, do you want to go ahead and introduce sure. her? Sure. We are here today with Alexis Shear, the amazing playwright of most recently, Our Dear Dead Drug Lord, which uh, was in New York. A Oh God! What year was it? Twenty nineteen. So it was pre-pandemic. Yes, okay. It was, yeah. The pandemic made me not remember whether it was pre or post-pandemic. But also in LA, very recently, and Alex saw it. <gasps> I did. It was amazing. I loved it. Oh my coming. God! Of course, I was out there and just like was like, oh, I wonder what Center Theater Group is doing. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, buy, buy yes, tickets. Yes, yes, Because I missed it in New York, and I was so bummed. Anyway, I'm going to let Danielle continue introducing Alexis. Alexis is a playwright and TV writer from Miami, Florida. Her breakout play was the off-Broadway hit Our Dear Dead Drug Lord, just previously mentioned, which was a New York Times critics pick and winner of the John Gassner Award. And this year, she made her Broadway debut adapting the book for Andrew Lloyd Webber's Bad Cinderella. Alexis's work has been developed and produced at theaters all over the country, and she's currently under commission by Second Stage, Manhattan Theater Club, and Miami New Drama. In television, Alexis wrote on Pretty Little Liars' Original Sin, streaming on Max, which we can promote because the writer's strike is over, and developed other projects for Max and Salma Hayek's Ventana Rosa. She holds a BFA in musical theater from the Boston Conservatory and an MFA in playwriting from Boston University. She's based in Boston with her music conductor husband and their mini Aussie Sagan. Welcome! Thanks for having me. Before we really like get into it, because we have so much we want to talk about, uh, we'd just like to kick it off with a little something we've been enjoying in pop culture. We've been previously trying not to talk about the WGA SAG projects, but um you know that's that's our choice doesn't have to be your choice um danielle do you have anything that you are enjoying at the moment i'll continue the trend of me referencing stupid reality tv which is a new sort of genre of reality tv that i have fallen into as like background noise on my tv is various vet and zoo shows on nat geo 
Um, and they're all like very ethical, like conservation minded zoos that, that are featured. But what I'm loving about them specifically is just hearing all the animal names. They're very silly. <laughs> there was um, a manatee that was rescued and being rehabilitated named Bananity. There was a flock of flamingos all named after Arrested Development characters. Um, And it's just bringing me so much joy. Excellent. It's so good. excellent. (laughs) Um, Alexis, do you have anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying this band called Daisy Grenade. Um, They haven't... Oh, I feel like I've heard of that. Everyone needs to get on them right now. They're like awesome um they have an ep out right now called cult classic and it's like the underscoring of my like teen heart it feels like it's just like fun like punky rock music um yeah so i'm loving that and um i'm loving a lot of things it's all like boring research for all the projects i'm working on (laughs) So lots of like your t- history books. <laughs> and well, you're talking to two dramaturgs. Yeah, so we're, I'm, we're not bored by I'm that. I'm reading but... <laughs> a lot of um, biographies and autobiographies of uh, war correspondents right now. So, and I'm very cool. Loving them all. They're all just very, very dense. And um, yeah, that's that's where my head is at <laughs> most days currently. That's awesome. Yeah. It's great. What about you, Alex? I just literally like an hour ago, a friend sent me a TikTok. I'm immensely enjoying the joy that I got from this TikTok because it is a TikTok promoting Slayers, a Buffyverse story, which is going to be Audible's like 20 years later episodic Buffy story told through audio. And it's written. Are you a Buffy person, Alexis? No, not a Buffy person. I... That's like one of those like cultural blind spots that I have that I feel like one day I'll get to and be like, oh, yeah, of course I'm obsessed with Buffy. I just haven't gotten there yet. It'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen because that was me. I haven't watched it yet either. That was me. I watched it over the course of two and a half years. I took breaks. Mm -hmm. Like I made it. I just made it a long term watch project and now I'm obsessed. Um, But that was me for a really long time. But it's written by Amber Benson, who played Tara, you know, famously, if we're talking about witches who have influenced our generation, like Willow and Tara are up there. Um, But it's written by Amber, and she got a lot of original cast members to come back and be in it. And it's like, it's incredible. My friend texted me this with zero message, zero context, and I just proceeded to freak the fuck out. So I'm really excited for Slayers, a Buffyverse story. It's coming out next week. I don't know how I didn't hear about it, but I didn't. And now I don't know how Audible works, if I need to get a subscription, if like what I need to do, but I'm all in. Give it to me. Give it to so, me in an IV. Listeners, by the time this episode is released, Slayers, a Buffyverse story is out on Audible. Go listen. Oh. This is your plug. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Anyway, that is what I'm enjoying is the TikTok that brought me immense joy this evening. Amazing. So let's get a little bit wicked. Let's I'm going to make all the puns. It. I'm going to make all the puns tonight. I mean, listen, Winnie Holzman would support it. Yes, I think so. Innuendo, outuendo. Um, <laughs> I actually saw Wicked like two weeks ago. Randomly, super, super randomly. A friend was in from out of town. 
Um, and she had actually never seen a Broadway musical before. And so she had tickets to Wicked. This was like a birthday gift for her. And I met up with her for dinner. And then afterwards was just like walking her with her toward, towards the theater and saw that Allie Trim, who's understudying Glinda, was on that night. And I was like, and I got a ticket 10 minutes before <laughs> Curtin and walked in. <laughs> um, so yeah, some background on Wicked for those who may not know the details. It opened on Broadway on October 30th, 2003, after an out-of-town tryout in San Francisco. And it is based on the book Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. And the musical is has a music and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz and a book by Winnie Holzman, who I referenced a minute ago. And... It then went on to win three Tony Awards and a Grammy in 2004 and multiple other theater awards and is celebrating its 20th anniversary on Broadway this week that this is released. And since its opening, it's also been touring forever. There are multiple tour companies. There are multiple international sit-down companies. It's been translated into multiple languages it is a the definition of a smash hit. Yeah, it's it's really become like a modern classic. So I guess to kind of get into it, if we want to do a brief overview of like how like what has what what are our histories with Wicked? Like what how did it come into our lives? Did it change our lives for good? For good? I have been changed <laughs> for good. Um, T- tell I, us, I'm Alexis. Tell you. Okay, so. I discovered Wicked, I think, like, 2006-ish. I was a middle schooler in Miami, um, middle class, so I didn't have the means or the access to go to New York to see Wicked, but I had the cast album, and this show was my entire personality for, like, a solid three years. Like, this this was me in middle school. I was the girl who liked Wicked. And I was just obsessed. And, like, the embarrassing thing to admit is I actually didn't see Wicked until, I guess, maybe two years ago. So, you know the end? <laughs> the very end, the final scene where, like, I don't know, spoiler alert, like, there's a trapdoor situation and a character who you think is dead is not dead? I didn't know that until... I saw the show. <laughs> I and oh so here God. I am, you know, sitting in this show in this like musical that I that allegedly was my favorite for years. And like that happened and I my like stomach dropped and I like sobbed. I sobbed. It was amazing. It was like true magic and <laughs> it's just so funny. I don't know. So That is that's so incredible I, that <laughs> Like it's that's still that details. It wasn't wow. spoiled. How did I like miss? Like I don't know how I missed that. And I, yeah, I don't know. But that's that's the thing. So I don't know. Wicked. I I love and um I do feel like it has like made its way into my creative life. Like really like unconsciously. I don't know. In stories about powerful women and ambition and 
power and self-governance. So, I mean, we'll get into all of that, but like clearly that resonated with like middle school me, but then going to revisit it as an adult and also getting to sit with like the book and all the other things that you don't experience from a cast album. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a great musical. Middle school me was on to something. No wonder this has been open for years and years and years and years. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's me and Wicked. <laughs> Wow. That's amazing. Alex, do you, what about you? I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't think I've ever shared my Wicked origin story, which um, really starts with my childhood, I want to be on Broadway story. Um, Naturally. When I saw, it starts with Kristen Chenoweth performing my new philosophy on the Tonys. From your good man, Charlie Brown. From your good man, Charlie Brown, not from Wicked. <laughs> that is not from Wicked. And that was... Um, was it in 99 or did it open? I think it was in 1999 that this happened. And I just was like so into Kristen Chenoweth and You're Good Man Charlie Brown specifically and just kind of was like, well, I want to be a performer too. I want to do what she did. Like, because that's an epic performance. If you see her perform and then like 30 seconds later, she turns around, she wins the Tony and she has her like glamour dress on. So fun to watch on YouTube. We'll link to it in the show notes. We will definitely link to it. But anyway, so I kind of had this like fixation with Kristen Chenoweth. I just thought she was great. And I remember this so specifically. We were in San Diego on a family trip in um, 2003, spring of 2003. And there was an article about Kristen Chenoweth that my mom gave me out of like People Magazine or something. She was like, oh, look, you, sh- you should see this. And at the end, it talks about Wicked. It was just like a profile piece, but it was talking about how she was going to do like this new musical that was Broadway bound. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I don't even remember like how, like what exactly developed from there. But I do remember going on the musical's website and listening to the songs because they put the songs on the website, which was a big deal. I'm like MIDI files for a little while. I would like listen to them on a loop. Not all of the songs, but like six of them. This is ringing a bell. Yeah. And it's something I have not thought about consciously probably since 2003. I remember we had a TiVo at the time watching the Macy's Day parade of one short parade performance of one short day over and over and over for hours um, before there was a cast album and then getting the cast album. And yeah, I actually was extremely lucky. My parents realized my obsession. I was also the wicked girl. Like, I was the girl in school who was spreading the gospel of Stephen Schwartz in the hallways. And I was weird. So, you know, it went hand in hand. Um, But my parents actually were, like, very much, like, encouraging it in a way. And they actually took me to see the original Broadway cast in April of 2004. And we stage doored. And I got Adina Menzel to sign my poster, which is right over there. And... Yeah, I mean, it was so influential for me in developing, like, my performance skills. Like, I was motivated to perform because I was like, what if one day I could play Alphaba? Like, I want to, like, belt like Adina, but I also want to, like, sing like Kristen Chenoweth. Is there any way I can, like, do both? Like, it really, like, pushed me to perform better as a teenager. And I think that, like, as I've matured, I've kind of like, it's just kind of become a little bit of like background noise in my life. Like, yeah, like I had my wicked phase and like, it's good, but like, whatever. I saw it on tour a couple times in Hartford um, growing up. 
as a teenager, but I haven't seen it in over a decade. But when I, I happened to be online when the tickets dropped for the 20th anniversary performance and I snagged two seats and I'm going and I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I have not seen this musical in over a decade. I've never been back to the Gershwin. I only saw right? it you ha- If you haven't seen Wicked again, there hasn't been anything else there. There hasn't. I have, like, I'm out of my mind excited to revisit this show and think about, like, the legacy it has had on me and, like, the legacy it's had on my friends. Oh, my God. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. Yeah, that's it was it wasn't so much a gateway musical for me. I was already into musicals and show tunes and all that stuff. But it definitely made an impact on me. And I think as we'll get into like, I think it made a big impact on me as somebody who like, really, like values female friendship. And I think that it really feeds into the way I think about that concept in my life. So yeah, that's my wicked story. No, I feel like I should just also um uh mention that uh so I was a child actor I come from a big performance and acting background in musical theater and I went to like BOCO and got a BFA in musical theater but I specifically went to BOCO to get a BFA in musical theater because I thought I was going to be Glinda and Wicked and I like really like as a senior in high school I remember so vividly thinking yes, I am going to go to school and then I will be Glinda and how I really like thought thought that and believed that. And then of course I went to school and realized I I wasn't a soprano. Um, (laughs) And, and perhaps my talents lie elsewhere, but I don't know. Wicked. I think it's what you're saying. It's there are parts of the show that I'm like, Oh yes, I, I see myself doing this. This is the kind of thing that I want to be doing where, you know, in middle school when I'm walking around singing all these songs, I think prior to that, like, I think my gateway musicals were like uh, Annie, Les Mis, The Sound of Music. And, you know, you're aging out of Annie um, and you're aging out of The Sound of Music in terms of like roles you could play as a young person. Now you're too old to play the uh, young Cosette in Les Mis and so that was just in my brain the next leap it's like okay well no more kid roles one day I'll be an adult and I'm gonna play play Glinda yeah and I also think that just like and Danielle mentioned this when we were prepping for the episode a bit but also the idea that they're like the idea that Alphaba was so like outcast at school and felt weird at school was also like a really big identifying marker for me um, as a little weirdo who didn't have a ton of friends at school. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, Alexis, you wanted to be Glinda. Alex, you're like, can I do both? And I was solidly like, I will be Alphaba. I will be Adina Menzel. I will. This is it. This is it. I went to the same high school, coincidentally, that Adina Menzel went to. And um, just like a public school on Long Island. And so... The fact that this was happening, I think I was in eighth grade when Wicked came out, and um, I had just had my second summer at Frenchwoods, but yeah, so I was just instantly obsessed with Adina Menzel um, as a Jewish girl from Long Island who was into musical theater, and I quite literally didn't discover this until years later, but... 
more or less gave myself vocal nodes pretending to be Alphaba in my basement. Mm. Mm. And familiar, familiar territory. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to see it um, in like, I guess it was September-ish of 2004. So Kristen Chenoweth had left the show by that point, but Adina was still in it. And quite frankly, that's who I cared about. No shade to Kristen Chenoweth. Um, but 14 year old me was all about Adina and I adored it. And because I then went to college in New York City, I went back a couple more times throughout college, like winning lotto or whatever, to see various people who I, various performers I really love when they were on as Alphaba. And most recently, I went a couple weeks ago on a whim. And, like, I'll say this over and over again, but it holds up. Yeah. It holds up. That's what I've heard. (laughs) And I still, I've probably seen it half a dozen times over the years now. I still turn into a crying child during Defying Gravity. Like, I felt myself, like, I could feel my face smiling in such a huge way that I literally couldn't control the muscles of my face. Like I was like just bursting open. It was, and I cried so much throughout the whole show. And this was like two weeks ago. It was as if, it was as if I hadn't seen it before. Like I was still, it's still to be cheesy and punny. It's magical. It is, but it's like to what, like let's try and articulate like why it does that and has that still has that emotional impact and that because I like I'm with you defying gravity started happening and I like have certainly seen all the little clips and I knew it was going to happen and I have listened to the song thousands and thousands of times but your whole face changes and like the like you're I don't know and it's magic and and like what is that I think it's um I think it's the story i think it's the character it's this moment this emotional climax but it's also meeting spectacle in a way that yes we rarely get now on broadway it's spectacle in the traditional like old school broadway sense yeah Mm -hmm. but like married with you know, more modern technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, slightly modern. Now you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah. it's a cherry picker. <laughs> it's like, it's a cherry picker. <laughs> I'm comparing it to like, when I saw Phantom in college, I was like, that was the chandelier drop. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I will say that um, when I saw Phantom in college, the final moment where they like take away the cape, and it's just the mask that got me. Mm. That got me. So yeah. I love yeah. spectacle. Almost and like Alphaba melting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys have seen it more recently than I have, so you probably have like better takes on it. But yeah, I mean, I think some of it for me, it's like it is absolutely all of the dramaturgical elements coming together in that moment. But it's also, um, and this is something I'm always interested in it's like almost it's an aspect of what I wrote my grad thesis on is how that what you're seeing on stage meets the memories and life experiences of the people in the audience yes and so I think for me personally it's also like 
literally that alchemy of my personal history with the show and the nostalgia and the recall of like the emotions that I felt when I saw it when I was 14 and the emotions that I felt how much I related to the to Elphaba and to the characters and how much the show grabbed me as a teenager I think you know like there's some element there are certain things I think for everybody whether it's a musical or like whatever piece of media it is that are like so formative for you at such an impressionable age that there's something about it that's always going to bring that back up and like trigger that Mm -hmm. in you all over again. Well, and I also think I was going to say, and this is something we actually would love to do an episode all about, but we haven't even touched on like the message board aspect and the internet culture of that time and how Mm -hmm. you were able to, through the things you loved, find other people that you love and who are sorry other people or other people who love the same things you do but also other people that you love because honestly like other performers like you start to trace yeah that Mm -hmm. you start to like chase their resume my mom still talks about how we saw annalee ashford like years before she became annalee ashford because she was on the tour of wicked in hartford Mm. It, it was such an interesting time to be a fan of something because you could suddenly find your people and it didn't matter where you were in the world. And I think that for a lot of people, that was wicked. Like wicked was the thing yeah. that caused them to, to seek out those communities too. Was that something you yeah. experienced at all with it, Alexis? Like were you um, very internet literate at the time and like on Witches Vivaz? Yeah, I was super internet literate. I... Oh my god, I'd like would check all the like play playbill and the Broadway world message boards and all of that whole world and and I was surrounded in my real life with people who were just as obsessed with me and I don't know, mm-hmm. we were like a little like cultish um, in our love for wicked. <laughs> and I think there's something about like the genre of it. And the uh, the fantasy world aspect of it, right? It it's not yes. a contemporary musical where they're walking around in jeans and t-shirts, and it's a, a replication of my real life. It is like there's something about the escapism that um, I don't know was really like attractive. And I think about all these like some of the most iconic musicals and how they like do live in this other world that helps us look at our world clearer. And so I don't know that. I'm always struck by that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also like an extension of a world that you already know. Because like, what kid, like, I feel like most people would have seen The Wizard of Oz at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, even if they haven't read the book, they've seen the iconic movie. So just like the entire idea that it's taking something that you already know and that you already love and you're going to be able to have more of it. Like, that's just great. And it's kind of like blowing it open a little bit. And I think for me, like, it was such a funny, like, this is in hindsight only. I didn't even know the word dramaturgy at the time. But like, the the idea of like, you're not just seeing like, oh, it's it's a quote unquote prequel to The Wizard of Oz. It's the origin story of the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, But oh, it's also 
goes right up until and like overlaps with the actual mm-hmm. story elements of The Wizard of Oz. It isn't solely a prequel. Yeah. It runs up through the end of The Wizard of Oz and you see the also the origin of the Tin Man and the Cowardly mm-hmm. Lion and the Scarecrow and what happens to the Wicked Witch of the East and all of that that like I think also just blew my mind from a storytelling and like world building perspective. It was something that I'd never seen done before. Um, yeah. And the fantasy of it is definitely, I think this is a sloppy segue, but like going back to the novel it's based on, it's like, I read that probably a couple of years after seeing the show, like sometime in high school and, like, that shit's dark. I read it oh, in yeah. middle school. I read it when Who I was 12. let me? Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> I think that is also, like, but... there's, there's obviously the fantasy element, but I think it's also, like, maybe just for the specific niche of, like, young teenage girls who went to see the musical and then grabbed the book because that's what it was based on and like got to feel super mature mm-hmm. reading that I can see that but like also it is weird and dark N- not explicitly dark but like subtly dark in the same tone as L Frank Baum's series is the thing like mm-hmm. it's not doing anything that's drastically different from what L Frank Baum did except it's putting explicit sex in it right speaking of and we were talking about um, this being a formative uh, text, if you will, or, you know, piece of theater. Um, going back to it years ago, I think this was like the last show I saw, like right before the pandemic hit. Like I had just seen Wicked and then the pandemic happened. Um, so I got to hold on to it and be like, theater is great. But listening to As Long As You're Mine as an adult and then realizing, oh, I actually think that that was like maybe like the beginning of my like sexual awakening as a middle schooler and like feeling some oh, yes. feelings absolutely but suddenly hearing it, it took me back to a place and i was like oh this is sexy this is so yeah. sexy and i remember in middle school like like feeling like i don't know feeling those feelings that you like feel for the first time and you're like oh shit mm. i don't know Thanks, Wicked. They they PG that up so well in oh, the yeah. musical that like yeah you're totally you as a like a thirteen year old you're on that level yeah yeah but yeah. you're like yeah. this is hot it's great <laughs> with the fog machine <laughs> the fog and like machine. well I was like well this is love and when like th- this is exactly how I want to be serenaded too. <laughs> <laughs> like they're both on their knees <laughs> staging in Sicily. Yeah. It's really not good. <laughs> they're just like dramatically holding each other's shoulders. Yeah. Like <laughs> oh. oh man, I cannot wait. I guess you can't sing while you kiss. Yeah. <laughs> that would be tough. All right, do we want to like just kind of dive into the overall influence Wicked has had? Because like we're we're talking we've been talking about it like more individually and yeah. more about like our personal experiences. But Wicked's like staying power and like like 
place in as like musical theater for the masses is kind of phenomenal. It's kind of a once in a generation kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it didn't like looking at theater history and like trying to find comparable things to Wicked is really difficult. Like yeah. there's not in terms of specifically the representation of female friendships. Yes. Um, and not just like, you know, larger sort of social groups of women, mm-hmm. not uh, women who are related. Um, like I was thinking of like, okay, well, like there's Greece, but it's like, that's a group and it's not really like this intimate, mm-hmm. like two person friendship that you're seeing, nor is it central to the story because it's really about Sandy and Danny. Mm-hmm. Alex pointed out like, Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals will have female friendship, but it's often just comic, comic relief, relief, and it's certainly mm-hmm. not the central story. It's always a love story. If you've read Stacey Wolf's book, Changed for Good, where she talks about women in musical theater, female friendship in musical theater, the largely the influence of Wicked. Um, I, this is not the first time I've shouted out Stacey Wolf on this podcast. I'm a huge Stacey Wolf fan. We Stacey Wolf, come Please on the pod. Please come on the pod. We're, we're, we're going to email her. It's fine eventually when I get the courage <laughs> and the heart, right? And the brains. She points out that like the end of Guys and Dolls, like Guys and Dolls is the first moment where you can kind of pinpoint the a female friendship influencing the plot in Marry the Man today. Like that's kind of the first time when it's like, oh, these women have a connection and they're like barely friends, really. But like they have a connection and it's going to get them what they want in the end and make a satisfying ending for everybody. And I think that it grew and grew throughout the 20th century. I was thinking how interesting it was that Wicked came only two, like a few years, two or two or three years after the producers was a smash hit on Broadway. Because, like, talk about a friendship that is central to the story and that is celebrated in the end. Like, of course, men had to do it first. Like, we couldn't have the first one. But, like, I do think it's interesting that these two shows were so close together. But we were trying to think of other musicals that have really made female friendship a focal point, like, between, like, a specific friendship. And we were like, well, Chicago? Like, is that a friendship? Maybe, question Maybe mark, question are they friends? Mark. You know, I, like, kind of, like, prep for this, I was thinking about this specific question, and, and I immediately remembered, like, oh, um, it was, like, quite a thing when both um, Indina and, and Kristen were nominated for Tonys in the same category, and that tells you a lot about a show and the, um, and who's the show who the show is about is who they <laughs> go and submit for what category. And so I was looking at, you know, I'm like, okay, well, when else in the Tony history? And of course the Tonys aren't a barometer of like all musicals ever, but, um, but it's a place to start from. It's a checkpoint. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, what other times? And, and you don't find other shows where two women have been nominated in that same category and they, and the show their relationship is the primal focus of the show. Instead, you find, um, oh, you have the older character and the younger character, or, you know, it's different relationships and um, or big rivalries, right? War paint. Or it's often a trio. Yeah. But yeah. that was an interesting thing to me. Mm-hmm. 
the category, the Tony category is a really interesting point Mm -hmm. that I hadn't thought of because it's often either the producers will be submitting two actors in different categories just to spread out their own chances and not fall into that the narrative that the media loves of like pitting these women against each other which Mm -hmm. was also such a huge huge thing Mm -hmm. with Adina and Kristen was like everyone wanted them to like either be like obsessed with each other or fucking hate each other and there was no in between but in looking at the history it's like with so few musicals even having a central two-person female friendship at all and like you end up looking at I'm thinking of like Sweet Charity as a trio, Waitress is a trio, Nine to Five is a trio of Mean Girls is sort of a quartet, but Mm -hmm. initially like a trio and then Katie. Yeah. And like I, that by default means that you can't be nominating everybody or nominating everybody in the same category um, just mathematically. Mm -hmm. And so I was just, yeah, that's just a perspective I hadn't thought about that through. Yeah. And I was thinking about it in term, like in larger cultural spheres as well, like in the large like idea of what in culture are there female female friendship stories that have captivated us, and like oh my god, I texted so many people and I talked about this with Danielle, and there are so few, there are so few like friendships. I have like my list is like a few movies from the eighties, and then Anne Shirley and Diana Barry. If you want to get like OG about it, uh, Blair Waldorf and Serena Vanderwoodsen, maybe when Gossip Girl was popular. Like, I'm trying to think of like friendships that have like that we can like look to as cultural touch points. Mm-hmm. The most recent one I came up with is Midge and Susie from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. But is there another friendship besides like outside of Glinda and Alphaba? that we can really point to and be like, yeah, this has had immense power for 20 years you can reference this and people know what it is uh yeah it's Selma and Louise that yeah that was one of the 80s yeah I mean it's like Selma and Louise Romeo and Michelle (laughs) like it's It's so so hard like 10 (laughs) that's it it's so sad it is so sad and and then it's like (sighs) but post Wicked there's more yes Still very few, Mm -hmm. but, like, in terms of um, wider pop culture, not just musicals, we pretty quickly came up with Broad City and Grace and Frankie, Mm -hmm. but that's also, like, over a decade after Wicked. Yeah. Um, Greta Gerwig does this quite a bit in, like, like Frances Ha, kind of, um, and, like, Miss America, like, and, like, obviously- And I guess this isn't Greta Gerwig, but, like, I'm- also more recent movies of like Booksmart. Lady Bird and Booksmart. Booksmart yeah. 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 Well, Lady Bird is Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wanted to shout out my brilliant friend because I think that that has become like a really seminal kind of friendship that people point to. But like it's not really like for everyone. Like the book series is for like it's for snobs. I'm just going to say it like I love it. And I will say like it's for snobs to sit down and read like 2000 pages of an Italian novel or watch like the HBO Max Italian series. Like it's not built the way Wicked is for mass consumption. 
mm-hmm. just kind of it kind of points to the lack of female female friendship representation and celebration and celebration in general not just in theater but i think it's pretty fucking awesome that we have one of those great stories in musical theater and that it came to us at such like a formative moment in our lives and i also love that like the book is not about glinda and alphaba the book is solidly about alphaba but this is a choice that was made when it was being adapted was to make it about these two women. And I do think part of that is like, okay, Kristen Chenoweth was involved and Glinda was written for Kristen Chenoweth. But whatever the reasons, you know, it's pretty great and it was really revolutionary. And I hate to say that it still is, but it still is. And I think that that's why it's still on Broadway in part. Completely. I completely agree. Because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. The only modern musical that I could really come up with was The Mad Ones by Kate Kerrigan and Brie Loudermilk. That was the only one I could come up with where I was like, yes, this is about female friendship. So I don't know. We need to write more. I'm just going to get on it. God. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, we, uh, you know, now that we've talked about sort of pre and post Wicked a little bit in like wider pop culture, it has, or specifically talking about like the, the idea of, a two-person female friendship as the center of the story. While that trope isn't very, uh, it's not even frequent enough to be called a trope, Mm. it barely exists, the trope that Wicked and Wizard of Oz and the Gregory Maguire novel play off of is the idea of the witch and various aspects of, like, girls seeking power and wielding power and the idea of like you know for largely in the trope you know like the old crone the like you know the all the negative associations with that but wicked and the subsequent work that has been influenced by wicked has flipped that to the positive and also just like made it younger Mm -hmm. in a way that i think has almost become its own like subgenre of playwriting mm-hmm. in a way that I personally am obsessed with. Same. <laughs> um, <Yeah. clearly. laughs> so, do you want to actually, for those that don't know, tell listeners w- about our dear dog drug lord? Sure. I mean, in short, it's about uh, four teenage girls in Miami um, in 2008. It's a period piece, if you will, who are all members of. Uh, the Dead Leaders Club, which is a club at their school that studies famous dead leaders. And the club has recently gone through some leadership changes and the person who leads the club um, steers things more towards the dark and occult and subversive and polarizing. And, And so when we meet them, they're studying Pablo Escobar. And very quickly, we realize they're not just studying Pablo Escobar. They're trying um, to commune with him in a seance with the Ouija board. And, you know, the play continues and you realize it's, oh, it's about grief. It's about trauma. (laughs) It's about... um, Things go awry. Things go awry. (laughs) Um, But really, it's about... um, girlhood and and navigating um coming of age and um female friendship and um and just growing up and the messiness and it's hilarious and and terrifying and and it's all of the things because that's just kind of what 
growing up is. That's it in a nutshell. It's dramatic. And so therefore we put it on, we should put it on stage more because it's, it's literally the definition of dramatic to be a teenage girl. Yes. In a good way and not in the way that my parents used to tell me I was. No, same. I mean, right. Like we were all like little drama queens, right? And, <laughs> and I'm like, cool, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it on stage where it should be. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, and it's like, I feel like it's such a, I mean, maybe it's overstating it to call it a universal experience, but it's like pretty damn close to a universal experience. I think that to like do light as a feather stiff as a board Mm -hmm. at a sleepover break out a Ouija board and like Mm -hmm. try to contact someone's like dead grandpa Mm -hmm. um and like light a candle and freak yourselves out and then like blow it out in a panic and be like oh we're never doing that again like (laughs) try like sort of testing the waters of the spiritual the like occult of witchcraft Mm -hmm. as this sort of desperate sometimes seeking of agency and power when you're going through this incredibly dramatic time. Yeah. I almost wonder where that comes from. Sorry. I was just going to say, it's funny we were talking about Frenchwoods earlier because I remember so vividly at Frenchwoods one night we all, after dark, snuck into one of the empty theaters and somebody had drawn a Ouija board And I think I was there. I lasted maybe one minute. And I was like, this is too scary. We are in an empty half outdoor theater. And I like, I was terrified because I don't, you know, what if we're actually doing stuff, right? What if there's actually magic? Um, But no, I think what you were just about to ask is where does this come from? Why do we do this as young people? And it's something obviously I've like thought about so much as I'm writing about. And of course it all has to do with, power and 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 self-governance and I think it's attractive um to young people especially when you are not in control of a lot of aspects of your life and so you're clawing for control in other realms um yeah that's that's my hunch and it's sort of exactly what we see in Wicked, Wicked, too, is, like, you know, Elphaba arrives at school and she's only there because she has to be her sister's caretaker and her father is, like, stop causing a scene, shut up, talk less, like, you're you're being dramatic. Mm-hmm. And she has this, like, secret magical power within her. Ooh, a through line for Adina Menzel from Wicked to Frozen. <laughs> there um, we go. That... <laughs> where she she can't control this power and is trying to hide it she doesn't have agency over it mm. and then she gets the tools to have agency over it yeah. I would just think it's funny because my my niece and I would play witches when she was like three years old and it was her idea when we started doing it it was like her idea to be like let's pretend we're witches and so I'm just like where is this coming from like where are you getting these ideas like, how do you even know what a witch is? It just, it blows Fairy my Fairy tales. But it's yeah. interesting that she took the, like, what's by and large, like, a very negative yeah. concept of witches. Oh, we're always nice tales. witches. Right. It's like, yeah. that distinct, the, the good witch or bad witch. The good witch and bad witch. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Well, I'm curious what yes, your yes, yes. like childhood witches are. Like, who are the formative witches? Because hmm. I think for me, it's um, it's Elphaba, um, it's Hermione. Um, mm-hmm. That was a huge part of my life. Um, Sabrina, the teenage witch. Uh, oh God, totally, yes. um, totally. Wendy, Wendy the witch from the iconic Hillary Duff movie. Wendy, uh, Casper meets Wendy. Oh yeah. yeah, what an excellent I was kids say, movie! If you haven't seen it recently, check it it's out. So again. Good. It's so good. I was good. gonna say, I forget her name, but the worst witch. I think her name yes. is like Miss Ma- Mil- Mildred. 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 Hubble. Mildred. Yes, Mildred Hubble. Oh my god, I loved that TV show. I guess it got rebooted so a few good. years it ago. Got I haven't rebooted, watched it, and it's um. It's, I think, Bella Ramsey playing Mildred. Um, Are you serious? Very good. I know. Like, catch me, like, watching shows for 10-year-olds. I love them. Mildred Hubble, um, Marnie from Halloween Town. Um, Of course. Yes. Oh, God, Halloween Town. Like, I tell when people ask me, like, oh, you know, like, when I get into, like, yeah, witchcraft is sure part of my spiritual yeah. spiritual practice, but not in like a weird way. And I'm like, okay, you guys, it's lame. My guiding tenant in terms of witchcraft is literally stolen from Halloween Town, and it's something that um, Debbie Reynolds says. She says magic is really very simple. All you have to do is want something and then let yourself have it. That is like that is my guiding yes. principle in my spiritual life and like how I like move through this world. And mm-hmm. and again, it, I think it all comes back to power and self-governance and like connecting to like yeah. the divine within yourself, which I think Wicked is about. And I think that's what we we're attracted to as young people when we're starting to realize like we're we're special and have thoughts and feelings and and it's like a secret part of yourself. I don't know. I feel like that happens when you're like that age and you're like I'm yeah I'm, I'm not like the rest of the girls I'm different <laughs> <laughs> yes and yes. it's like also for one of the formative witches it's like I guess she's not technically a witch um but Matilda, Matilda. yes Was like huge amateur yeah 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 definitely seeing that movie reading that book I 100% would sit in my room and be like, I'm not like other girls. I'm different mm-hmm. and try to do telekinesis. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm like, I'm special, so it will work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, I was, what I'm also struck by is that, like, it's about power and it's about agency. But, like, also, and I think you, you see this for, like, I think, like, for some of these witches, it's also about like connection with a wider world and a network when you don't fit in anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Which like I was talking about earlier with with like message boards. Finding yes. a coven. Yes. Yes. The so beautiful message board was my coven and I miss it dearly. But I like what you were saying about coven and and this idea of community being inherent and actually like one of the like core components I think of of witchcraft which I think is also like again back when you're that young coming of age time and you feel really special and I think for all of us musical theater kids we're like we're special and we love this one thing and we're gonna find the other people who love this one thing and you found them and then suddenly there was like an electricity that maybe you don't feel with your regular friends at school or whatever and there's something about the literal magic that happens when you're just surrounded by people who all um have the same desire that you do which is i think you know 
a, that's a coven. It's a people coming together and, and manifesting yeah. good for each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like shared, shared references, shared language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's finding out what makes you special, too. Yeah. Which is something that I feel like I also feel a lot from your play, actually, is like these girls are figuring out what makes them distinct and what makes them really stand Mm -hmm. out in their schools and in their communities and in the world. Yeah. I think that that's something that they all kind of really want. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting the, like, dichotomy of both wanting to find that like coven and that community where there is this mm-hmm. sort of shared shared love of something and shared language but also at the exact same time the desire to like differentiate yourself as an individual both within that group and just in general yeah and like there's there's tension in that mm-hmm. and there's there's tension and that's where the tension comes from in the middle of wicked because you see glinda go to one end of it and you see alphaba go to the other that's exactly what defying gravity and thank goodness is all about and also it's like truly the most heartbreaking part of wicked for me that it's like the result of this all of this is that alphaba is i mean she's like technically with fiero but she's alone mm-hmm. she like yeah, has no, to so alone. completely give up any semblance of community and that like at least most recently when I most recently saw it like that really mm-hmm. broke me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no rest for the wicked yeah no good deed goes unpunished <laughs> do you have like final thoughts Alexis on how it how wicked and I mean has influenced your work like what kind of line can you draw from wicked to not just our dear dead drug lord but like your work in general? I mean, this might be opening up like a can of worms, but I guess like, I think the thing that struck me when I went to see Wicked a few years ago was um, it's very much a, a like a 9-11 piece, like a piece in reaction to 9-11 um, mm. in a way that I don't think middle school me was conscious of um, or could clock. And a lot of that is also in the book and it's very subtle. Oh, interesting. And And I think about a lot of my work, especially in Drug Lord, so much of it is in response to what it was like growing up post 9-11. And because it was this, you know, big formative event that had, you know, ramifications um, and a ripple effect. And I think all of us in this country um, and certainly globally. And and so, like, I look at. I look at Drug Lord and I'm like, well, yeah, that play is, that's a post 9-11 play. And then I look at Wicked, I'm like, yes, that's a post 9-11 musical. And and so thinking, I don't know, I, I have nothing articulate to say about this, but I feel like there's like some some thread. Maybe we'll cut this whole part yeah, well, out of it because I'm not quite making sense and haven't. No, I'm like. <laughs> No, you totally you are. are. You totally are. I'm just like, I'm quiet because I'm thinking, not because I have nothing <laughs> yes. to say, but because I'm like, whoa. Because it also makes me, it also makes me think about like L. Frank Baum's whole original idea. Like, like that original series is meant to be about like the gold standard in America, like the yellow brick mm-hmm. road and stuff like that like it is it is already so pol- like coded 
but totally about politics. Whereas then we got the Gregory Maguire series, which is overtly political, but also still, I would say, ahead of its time. And then we were able to have Wicked, which the I think the ideals of Wicked, the political ideals of Wicked, are it's just as relevant to And you know what? Like the Which is sad, but you know. All of so much of it, it's like it's subtle enough, the politics of the musical, that it isn't gonna really ruffle many feathers. It is still very much for the masses. Completely. But the political satire of the song Wonderful is really sharp. And they've mm-hmm. got that one joke, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering right, that's about, like, regime changes, right? Yes. Yeah. Where that, like, really, like, caught my ear, and I was like, whoa, that is a product of its time, and that is specifically speaking to yeah. to an audience who's just experienced a thing, um, or is continuing to experience, you know, the after effects of, of this event. Yeah. And it's like the the line in um in Wonderful where the wizard's like, where I come from, we believe all sorts of things that aren't true. We call that history. Mm. And it's like, yeah. that's, that's from where it, America. Like, but that's where it like the one of the few moments of it being like way less subtle. Mm-hmm. But like that idea and, and the, the hypocrisy of like what's going on behind closed doors versus how it's spun for the public. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see this musical during the 2016 election. Not going to lie. Well, we'll soon be seeing it during the 2024 one. So. That's true. That's true. Specifically, like, the rhetoric of, like, witch hunt when there's an actual witch hunt happening on stage and, like, the politics of gender in this world, in the government, how, like, the female authority figure is on stage... Currently Michelle Park, which A plus. Oh, wait! I is I A plus. I'm seeing. Oh God. Oh man. That was oh. Chef's kiss. Michelle Park is not a marvel. I would I would have just been absolutely fascinated to see this while the Clinton Trump election was was going on because I feel like I would have gotten something very different out of it if I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, there's so much that you can dive into. I'm curious, Daniela, somebody who is also very much into politics, if you feel like Wicked was as influential on your, like, political upbringing as it was on your theatrical upbringing, or how it factored in, or if you even got any of that. It's hard to remember, because I saw it every few years as I was Mm -hmm. growing up. So I think it was more of an experience of like getting something more and something different out of it each time as like in parallel to like my political sensibilities forming. Okay. Um, But at the same time, I think it's very possible that like, like I do think I would have gotten something out of the political messaging of wicked when I was like in 2004, because by that time, what when did Goblet of Fire come out? Like, I was already reading Harry Potter, so it was like, yeah, it, it sort of has mm-hmm. had similar similar morals being espoused in both, and yeah. like, 
you know, the shit that J.K. Rowling has done since aside. But no, Goblet of Fire, the book actually came out in 2000. So it was already out. Okay. Yes. Um, Order of the Phoenix had already come out. Order of the Phoenix came out in the oh. summer of 2003. Ah. So that, and that's also the book where it gets really political. So I, I yes. do think there's probably an alignment there in hindsight mm-hmm. between, you know, the witch, like Hermione in Harry Potter and like yeah. her sort of moral stances and activism. Yeah. And activism yeah. and um, in Harry Potter and like the, the whole, the through line in Wicked of like Alphaba really committing and standing on principle. Which is really interesting because of course, I don't need to tell you guys this, but like what makes these characters so special that we're all talking about Hermione and Sabrina and Alphaba, etc. What makes them so special in the end is not their magic, but in everything else they're doing and how they, how they perceive their magic and how they use that magic to an advantage of some kind and an advantage not just for them exactly that's what i mean is like not just for them but like for the world at large for their community i mean that's something that you know hermione learns throughout the books that's you know kind of the point of the worst witch is that she was always so bad at magic but she always made it right through other qualities and yeah i think it's a really interesting I think it's just really interesting how we have absorbed all of these stories in our culture and kind of hold them as a kind of tokens. Yeah, and you could say Wicked sort of up, just up the ante of like a trope that was already For sure. sort of out there by making it about two witches and two women and their friendship and not just this like lone witch against the world. Well, yeah, because when you're... Whether you're, like, 12 or 20 or 35, like, female... Like, this is an ongoing covert conversation in culture, is that female friendship is important and nobody's talking about it. Nobody makes media about it. We need to make more media about it. And I think it's finally starting to happen, which is great, and as I we like noted. Wonder, I wonder why we don't see it. And I'm, like, trying to think in, like, my writer brain. I'm like, well, how... And it's like, oh, because I guess you don't... Right, because we all want stories where all the women are, like, supporting each other. And then you're like, well, what's the conflict there? <laughs> but still, there is, I don't know, that's, a, like... And, like, we don't have these reservations about male friendship. The Banshees mm-hmm. of Inisharan, the central relationship was a broken male-male friendship. And it got nominated for, like, a million Oscars. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it won. I don't even remember the Oscars at this point. But we just, we don't have, we, we don't have the same hesitation when it comes to talking about men as we do about women and their intimate relationships. I think the, certainly, speaking just about theater, the plays are being written. I promise you they're being written. <laughs> it's, it's a question of, of who's producing them and where yes. and on what scale. Yes. Because that determines where and at what scale we're having those conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a very, very much overlapping um, conversation that we had with um, Andrew when we talked about um, genre theater. Uh, Andrew Agris, um, when we talked about his um, his thoughts on genre theater and putting fantasy, sci-fi, and etc. on stage, it's kind of still like, okay, there's a pipeline problem, so let's figure out where the pipeline is being blocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're really excited that you're doing that work. Thanks. 
at least that you have done that work. No pressure to keep going, but we love, we love it. We love it. I'm trying. It's, it's hard out here trying to get new things done. Everyone is scared of new ideas. It's a, I don't know. It's, it's hard to be in this IP driven time where you're, you're trying to put work out there and everyone's going, well, is it based on a book or is it based on a movie? And you're like, no, I'm just trying to have a new idea. <laughs> and or it's like, it's, well, it's tea. based on a very dense biography. So technically <laughs> it's based on a book. <laughs> right, right. But it's not, I'm not delivering something that has a built-in audience already. Oh my God. If I, I'm going to scream if I hear yeah. somebody else say that again. Well, what about the built-in audience? And it's like, that's, that's not what we're doing. I think there's space for The built-in audience is like theater nerds, man. To bring it back, I know that the the adaptation of Wicked to be a musical came out of it being owned. It it was it was the rights were bought for it to be a movie. But then they felt it wasn't working. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned we the movie. We haven't even mentioned the movie. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the upcoming movie. Oh my god. <laughs> That's happening. I think did I mean shooting got shut down. I don't know if it ever No, resumed. they basically finished. There were only okay. this is according to Bowen Yang, who plays one of the mon- right. monkeys? No. I thought he was no, one of Linda's, uh, Linda's friends. It's like a He's new character, so it's like not a like, new character. Not not Shen Shen, not Fanny. No, he, he is Fanny. He OG is book. Fanny. Oh, he is He's Fanny. Yes. Oh my um, god. But uh, Fanny Bryce, Bro and Yang is Fanny Bryce. Um, <laughs> would see it in a heartbeat. But no, um, they, he was saying they were really just up to doing like sort of final like reshoots of certain mm, things. Mm. So like principal photography, I think was done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty much yeah. Done. I'm so excited. Yeah. For it. So they they were going to develop it as a movie in the early 2000s, and then it just wasn't working. And like I forget the exact story, like how Steven Schwartz came to be involved. But they were like maybe we make it a musical and honestly like what a crazy thing for a musical to be based on when you're looking at the novel specifically Mm -hmm. when you're looking at the novel and you're like a retelling by this guy who like had some literary cred but like didn't have too many books out yet like it's crazy. It seems like a fluke that we got it, but I'm but it so also happy like the it. book to musical adaptations for me are always such a better leap because um, it's a, not a thing we've seen before, and it's just a different form. Whereas we get into trouble when we're adapting movies and we people just end up replicating the movie on stage instead of really digging. And in there's like already it. a visual, yeah, yeah. yeah visual. But that's so points. funny because. Mm-hmm. I was just having a conversation with somebody about because there's two different Great Gatsby yes. musical adaptations in development yes. right now, and it's yes. like I want them to be on the same. But block. it's so interesting because I want it so badly there has never really been a Gatsby musical adaptation that has worked or quite like clicked in, and. We were like, it wasn't able to be adapted right. before. It just so entered public domain, and that's when. Well, but like, announced. I mean, any any adaptation, yeah, yeah, yeah. not like the musical adaptations, well, but like including the, the films Lerman, and everything. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, um, yes. And we were, my friends and I were talking about it, and we were like, it's interesting because I think, generally speaking, I agree with you, Alexis, about like the fact that like you don't have this like preformed visual impression of of a book. I mean, like you have 
you know, the movie in your mind, but like you, uh, you're seeing something new and seeing it for the first time. But we were like, I think the actual language, the actual prose of The Great Gatsby is so singular and like musical in itself that it's like, how do you even turn that into lyrics? Like you can't, like you can't top it. You can't match it tonally really. Like it's, it's like too singular in a lot of ways that that was like what we were sort of, I don't think any of us quite articulated it, but we were like circling around that idea of like, why has not a single great Gatsby adaptation worked? But I, I digress. Mean, we'll have two <laughs> to see very, very soon. I We're know. Have two. Listen, I can't, I can't wait. Second shout out to Kate Kerrigan. Yes. Kate Kerrigan is just, all over this podcast episode. The one thing I did want to share that we didn't really get into is that I I think can lead us into like the closing is the fact that Stephen Schwartz, when he was writing for good, asked his teenage daughter to talk about her friendship with her best friend. And those essentially became the lyrics for for good. That's so sweet. And I didn't know that. <gasps> Yes, and I think that that kind of hits the nail on the head for, like, why it has been so fascinating for our generation, why it has been, like, I think it is just born out of such reality of what it means to be a a girl or a woman who has a friendship with another girl or woman that... You know, that I think that really speaks to the heart of why we're all still like so obsessed with it. So have we solved the 20th anniversary of Wicked and witchiness on stage? I think so. I think um, we've really figured out why Wicked is popular. (laughs) Popular, did you say? Yes. Excuse me. I should have corrected myself. (laughs) And yeah, I think... I think it's time to wish everyone a happy Halloween. And, oh, uh, yes. Happy Halloween. Alexis, if you have any final thoughts and or projects to plug, floor is yours. Oh, I, you know, at this specific moment that we're recording it, I don't have anything to plug just yet. But I don't know when we, when this is released, I might have things to plug. You know, that's crazy the way theater works. I'm, uh, this was great. I'm so glad you had me. This was so fun. Yeah. And thank you to Ida Smiley yeah, for thanks, connecting Ida. us and helping to facilitate. Yay. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, my handle is at sheer underscore madness. One day I'll have just sheer madness, but there's some like 10 year old who's had that handle and had it 10 years ago and then has never done anything with it it's like the bane of my existence um (laughs) but anyway that's where you can find you can just search my name on instagram and like i will show up cool this has been fun i'm gonna go downstairs and have dinner with my family we're in boston so it's gonna be a wicked good dinner Hell yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for coming on. Thanks. 
it's been amazing. It's been wonderful. Happy oh, Wicked. Wonderful. It's been wonderful. Oh, and it, that was not even intentional. Incredible. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy, Happy Halloween. 20th anniversary to Wicked. We love you, Wicked. Yay. We Yay. love you so much. You defy all the gravity of expectations. And we just we're off the rails. We've been changed for good. <laughs> like a comet pulled from orbit. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's just let this madness fade out into the outro music. <laughs> Sounds good. <sighs> Bye. Bye. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and do not reflect the views of our or our guests, employers, or clients. For more of our opinions and other theater-related content, Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and pretty much everywhere else at Partial View Pod. You can also find and support us on Patreon. I'm on Twitter at Danielle underscore Fetter and on Instagram at Danielle.Fetter. Follow me there. And I tweet and post pictures of my theater programs and books at Alexandra D-L-E-Y. Till next time. Bye.